1 Corinthians chapter 14 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's start reading in verse number 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound. Unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. 
Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage of Scripture. I pray for your wisdom. I pray, Lord, for the filling of the Spirit. And I pray, Lord, for open hearts and minds as we, as we look at this today. Teach us, Father, this is a hard chapter. There's so many hard chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians, and this is another. And so I pray you give wisdom. And uh, just speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us, we have been for a while now in a series on 1 Corinthians, and we're on the home stretch now. We're coming to the very end. We've only got a couple chapters yet to go. And for the last few weeks, we have been looking at a section here where Paul is addressing issues related to church life, uh, behavior, and, and uh, things in the local church. It started in chapter 11 and is ending now in chapter 14. So those four chapters, he's talking about uh, some of those topics related to how we behave in the local church. In chapter 11, we talked about the, the horrific chapter of head coverings on women. We also talked about the issue of uh, how to behave around the Lord's table in chapter 11. In chapter 12, we began talking about a topic which is now carried all the way down through chapter 14, and that's the matter of spiritual gifts. He introduced it in chapter 12, and uh, just basically talked about the fact of it there. In chapter 13, he talked about the overriding principle of love, which should uh, infuse everything we do with, with respect to spiritual gifts. But now here in chapter 14, he's going to get really, really practical about it. And he's going to talk about the how of it. What does a church look like? What does a worship service look like where these principles of spiritual gifts are being practiced? And Phil's up here smiling at me. Phil, would you like to preach this this morning? (laughs) Isn't there smiling at me? I know what you're thinking. So what does a church look like uh, when they're practicing these spiritual gifts? Well, one thing that we need to remember as we look at this chapter is that what Paul is doing here, I believe, clearly is correcting misuses. This is not a place where he's coming in and saying, Corinthians, you're an example of how things ought to be. I I believe what he's saying here is, Corinthians, you are really messed up, and let me get you straightened out on this. And we'll see that, I think, as we go a little bit further into it. So we we have to bear that in mind as we look down through here. This is a corrective passage of Scripture. So I looked at this this week, uh, and I thought to myself, how are we going to, how are we going to tackle this? And, And the fact is, as I looked at this, there was a couple of words here that just leaped off the page at me like uh, flaming embers and burned their way into my brain. I, I, can't, I can't get past these words. And probably there's a couple of words that jumped off the page at you. If I were to ask you this morning, if I were to go around and ask, what one word comes to mind when you read this particular passage of Scripture, almost all of you would probably say, what? Tongues. That would be the word that most of you would probably be fixated on as we look at this particular passage. And probably, I think, that if there were, if we were honest, if the ladies amongst us were honest, they would say that there was another passage toward the end of this that has just really got them galled right now. And they have, they, they're not hearing another thing I'm saying right now, because all they can get through is that part that says women are to keep silent 
in churches. Ladies, how many of you will raise your hand and say, that's absolutely true. That's what I'm thinking right now. Thank you, Sue. <laughs> so I thought this morning we'd look at this in two different ways. Number one, let's, let's talk. We have to talk about these troublesome words. We've we got we to gotta deal with them for a minute. But I don't believe really those troublesome words are the message that Paul has for us here today. Not for us. Not for friendship, Bible church, in 21st century America. I believe there are some timeless principles that are underneath of those troublesome words. And we want to get to those. But we can't do that until we talk about these troublesome words. So let's talk about them for a minute. Just those two. There may be some others there that are bothering you. But we're going to talk about the word tongues. And then we're going to talk about the word silence. And deal with both of those. And if I'm still standing, we'll move on to the principles. Number one, tongues. One of the commentaries I consulted in preparing for this message had this quote in it. It said, quote, what Paul meant by speaking in, in tongues is a matter of considerable debate. End quote. And I thought, that's the greatest understatement I've ever heard in my life. Because there is almost no thing that you're going to look at in the Bible where there has been more disagreement and, and confusion and and uh, just differences of opinion as to how to interpret. To some, the gift of tongues is some kind of an ecstatic utterance. It's not a, a known language. It's an ecstatic utterance that somebody issues in the spirit. They are talking to God, and uh, they don't know what they're saying. Only God knows. To others, and we would fall in this camp here at Friendship Bible Church, at least I would. I can't speak for all of you. But the gift of tongues refers to the God-given ability to speak in a known language, not your own. That's what I believe that it refers to. And I, and I think if we look at some facts about this word, it might help to clear up some of the fog. The word tongues is a translation of the Greek word glossa. And that word simply means known language. It just means a language. That word occurs 21 times in chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians. Paul used it 21 times. In those three chapters to the Corinthians, he only used it three other times anywhere else in the Bible. And so that alone ought to tell us there was some kind of an issue here at Corinth that didn't seem to be as much of an issue other places. But those other three times he used it ought to tell us something about what it meant, right? Uh, here are those three. In uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul said their throat is an open tomb with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Romans 14, 11, he said, it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And then in Philippians 2, 11, basically the same thing. He says, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So in each of those, clearly, he's not talking about some ecstatic language there. Would you agree? He is not talking about that. He's actually talking about the physical organ that we all have in our mouth, our tongue. And so that's one meaning of the word. Or he might be speaking about the speech that comes forth from it, but he's clearly talking about known language, not some ecstatic language in any of those three references. But Paul's not the only one who used this word in our New Testament. There were other New Testament authors who used that word glossa. For example, John Mark, in Mark chapter 7, verse 33, he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. In uh, James chapter 3 and verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Revelation chapter 16, and it's actually used a lot in Revelation. Revelation 16, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. 
In each of those instances, it clearly is referring to the physical organ, is it not? Your tongue is what is being referred to there. But there's other verses, Acts chapter 2. Of course, Acts chapter 2 is where we first are introduced to the matter of speaking in tongues, when the Holy Spirit baptized the church into existence, when the Holy Spirit came down and rested on the believers as cloven tongues of, uh, as of fire, and they all spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's where that first took place in Acts chapter 2. But it's described there very clearly. And what it says in Acts chapter 2 is that there was a whole big group of people from all different nationalities. And it lists all those nationalities. We get down to verse number 11 of Acts chapter 2 and it says, the last of that list, Cretans and Arabs, here's what they heard. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now that's clearly talking about their languages. We're all these different nationalities. We all have our own languages. We all hear them speaking in our own languages, our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. Revelation chapter 5, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. And that particular way of designating people groups is seen all throughout Revelation. It's in uh, uh, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 13, 14, 17. That same phraseology, every peoples and nations and tribes and tongues, people groups, French-speaking people groups, English-speaking people groups. It was a way of designating known language. So here's the thing. Every other reference to the word tongue in our New Testament, outside of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, every other one refers not to some ecstatic mode of speech, but rather to either the organ of speech, our physical tongue, or to a known language. One person said, if it is reasonable to interpret the unknown with the help of the known, the obscure by the clear, then the burden of proof rests with those who find in this term a meaning other than human language. Every other place it refers to known language. We then must apply that to this obscure passage and say it almost certainly means the same thing there. So known languages. But with that being said, with that being said, there was clearly something unusual about what was happening in Corinth. And there are some phrases here and some thoughts here that are somewhat confusing to us, aren't there? For example, in verse number two, we see that those who were speaking and those who were hearing did not know the language or understand the speech at all. If you're holding an old King James Bible this morning, then your Bible undoubtedly says, unknown tongue. And if you're looking at that closely, you'll notice that the word unknown is in italics there. And no doubt some of the confusion that has come about uh, as far as what is meant by, tongue, by tongues is the fact that that word unknown was included there. Because the fact is they were not unknown. They were known languages. Warren Wiersbe said it's unfortunate that our translators inserted unknown in 1 Corinthians 14 too, because the New Testament knows nothing of an unknown tongue. From the very beginning of the church, tongues were known languages, recognized by the listeners. And he quotes Acts chapter 2. The tongue would be unknown to the speaker and to the listeners here in Corinth, but it was not unknown in the world. And that's why he talks about, and we won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but that's why he talks about the need for the gift of interpretation. There is a gift of interpretation. 
So someone would stand up and they would speak in an unknown language. Somebody was then able to interpret that into the language of the people so that they understood what the message was. That gift of interpretation is referenced all throughout this chapter. And we saw it listed in the list of gifts back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Known languages. Now we learned in chapter 13, didn't we, that all of these miraculous gifts were temporary. The gift of tongues, the gift of knowledge, the gift of prophecy. Paul said they were going to cease at the end of that chapter. Once the New Testament was completed and the finished Bible was available, the need for those sign gifts, and that's what they were. They were gifts that authenticated the ministry of the apostles passed away. And therefore, the gift of tongues, I believe, I firmly believe, is not something that we need to be practicing today. We don't need to be praying for the gift of tongues, and we don't practice it here at this church because we believe it was a temporary gift which has passed away. But it was still being practiced in Corinth. This was the first century. It was still, the apostles were still on the scene, and the gift of tongues was still in operation at that time. And as a result, Paul had to regulate it. And all we see throughout chapter 14 here is him doing that, him regulating uh, their behavior with respect to tongues. There's a couple things here that I will mention. For sake of time, I'm not going to go too far with this. But there's a couple things here that I do think we, did, we need to see about this before we move off this particular word. One thing is that Paul did mention here another reason for tongues, which I think is important. It's in verse 21. Look at verse 21. He said, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Quoting again from Warren Wiersbe, he said this, Tongues did have a message, and that message was for the lost Jews in particular. They were a sign, tongues were a sign of God's judgment. That quote there is from Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. And it was a reference to the invading Assyrian army whose barbaric language the Jews would not understand. The presence of that tongue was evidence of God's judgment on the nation. And so Paul said one of the reasons for tongues, in addition to it being a sign gift to authenticate the, the, the message of the apostles, He said uh, another purpose of tongues is it is a message to the children of Israel of the judgment of God. They were hearing as people in all languages were proclaiming the message of Christ and the judgment that had come upon them. He also made mention of another thing here, which I think we need to mention, then we'll move off this. He said in verse number 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. And he said in verse number 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. And now some folks have looked at those things and they have said, now wait a minute now. Paul is clearly saying that we ought to be speaking speaking, of, speaking in tongues ourselves. It's something he wanted for us. However, we have to be very, very careful with that. If you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 7, he said the exact same thing about celibacy. He said, I wish you all were as I am. I'm celibate. And obviously he did not mean for all of us to follow him in that particular thing. So we have to be careful about that. I don't believe this passage is telling us at all that we should all be concerned about the gift of tongues or praying for it. Let me just give a little summary. Tongues were a temporary sign gift. As we learned last week, they authenticated the ministry of the apostles. But here 
we also see that they had a secondary purpose of revealing God's judgment to his people Israel. With the completion of the New Testament canon, the need for the gift of tongues passed away, and the gift is no longer practiced today. The gift of tongues did not refer to some ecstatic language which was unknown to all. The gift of tongues did refer to the ability to speak in a known language, not your own. Clear as mud? Everybody got that? It is a troublesome word. Let's move on to another one. There's another troublesome word here. It's the word silence. Did you hear the one about the three hermits? Three hermits who went out and lived in a cave, promising to keep a vow of silence. Have you heard this? After several years, one of the hermits saw a cow standing in the field, and he he said, hey, you know, I'm reminded of my childhood days as I look at that cow. A year passed. Another one of the hermits said, so am I. Another year passed, and the third hermit said, if you two can't keep quiet, I'm going to leave. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw a little joke in there because... This is a bad passage right here. Let's look at verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Now, honestly, I I say that this is a bad passage, but I I really believe we can handle this very, very quickly, because we've talked about it a lot in the past, and I, I think the interpretation is actually much simpler than we think. I don't think we'll need near as long for this as we did for tongues. Let me, let me suggest three, three common interpretations that are thrown out for this particular passage. Well, two common ones and, and one that I, and maybe not as common, but I think is pretty good. The one is obviously this. When Paul says, let your women keep silent in church, he means, ladies, keep silent in church. That's one. Always. Never speak. Um, And that's the way some people interpret this passage. I mean, clearly, if you're just going to take the language exactly as it's written, that is one way that some folks could do it. I was talking with, was it you that I was talking with just yesterday that said that you knew of some places where women weren't even allowed to stand behind the pulpit? Yeah. Uh, And so some folks interpret that passage to mean just that. But the fact is it can't mean that. It can't. We have to discard that one right off the top. Because Paul has already said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 5, that women can pray and prophesy in church. And so he's not going to contradict himself there. He must mean something else. He's not referring to just total silence here. He must be referring to some type of speech. Uh, we, have to kick, we have to kick that one to the curb. That cannot be it. Another common interpretation of this is that women are not to usurp the leadership role in the church, which has been reserved by God for men. That's based also on 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man but to be in silence. And we've talked about that one a lot. We've talked about it at length. And and, and we do believe here at Friendship Bible Church that the elder role is reserved in Scripture for men. But we also believe that's the only thing in Scripture that's reserved for men. At Friendship Bible Church, only men can serve in the role of elder. And it's based primarily on that passage and perhaps to some degree on this one in 1 Corinthians. Because that is a possible interpretation here. So it's possible. And as a matter of fact, I had always thought that was the interpretation of this until I studied this message. And I came across this third one, which I actually like better. So I think I'm going to claim this one. This one, I think, makes more sense. The third possible interpretation is this. Women are not to participate in the activity described 
in the immediate context of this passage. Look back at verse 32. Verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence. It's always important to think about the context. And the context here is that Paul is regulating the gift of prophecy. Now, we haven't talked about that a whole lot. All throughout 1 Corinthians 14, he's saying prophecy is more important than tongues. We haven't talked about it much, though. But prophecy, as we mentioned last week, was you receive the revelation from God and you share it with people in the language that they understood. That's how it differed from tongues. Some folks would say that what I'm doing right here is prophecy. And there is an aspect of prophecy which was similar to preaching, but I don't receive direct revelation from God. And don't let any preacher ever tell you that they do, because they don't. What we do is we take the Word of God, the Bible, we study it, and then we teach That's all that we can do. We don't get direct revelation from God. That was the gift of prophecy which has faded from the scene. But these prophets did it. Paul is here regulating that particular thing. And one of the things he says is it's going to happen in this this church service. You're going to have prophets who are going to receive a message from God. And they're going to say to everybody, hey, listen, I just got a message from God. And I'm going to share it with you. Now, how do I know you didn't just get a message from the devil? How do I know that you didn't just eat a a bad piece of pizza or something and you're going to give me some ridiculous vision that makes no sense whatsoever? How do I know that? There had to be some way to authenticate that, right? And so he said there in verse 32, let the spirit of the prophets be subject to the prophets. The other prophets who were there would say yes or no to whether or not that was really the Lord speaking or whether this guy was just some crackpot off his rocker. And so what I believe he's saying here is that women are not to take part in that particular activity. It's kind of like the same thing he's saying in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's kind of like saying the male leadership role is is uh, reserved for male, or the leadership role is reserved for the males. But I think it's even more specific here. He's saying this matter of prophecy, this matter of guarding the doctrinal purity of what takes place in this local assembly, God has reserved that for the elders. God has reserved that for the men. And women are not to participate in that. And so it seems, it seems likely to me that that is probably, probably uh, what he is prohibiting here. Probably. Can't be ridiculous about it. But let me just share a couple of thoughts before we move off of this one. And so far none of the ladies have thrown anything at me, but let me just, let me just share a couple of thoughts. The requirement of silence in this passage was not just limited to women. I imagine that all the women noticed that word when we got to this particular verse. But it's used a couple other places too. It's not just the women who were told to be silent. Look at verse number 28. Verse number 28. Where is it? But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. The tongue speakers who they thought they were the most gifted people in all of Corinth. Paul said, There's no, if there is no interpreter, be quiet. Sit down. Be silent. Also, verse number 30. Verse number 30. If anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So if a prophet is speaking and another prophet stands up and says, Hey, I just got a revelation from God. Paul says that first prophet, be quiet, be silent, and sit down. And so I I point that out so that, ladies, you won't feel like you're being picked on. It's not that at all. This was just simply a matter of order in the assembly, order in the church. And there was others also who had the same prohibition. And one other thing, let me throw this out. This may stir up all kinds of controversy, I don't know. But if the prohibition for women to speak here is specifically referring to the interpretation of prophecy, and I think it is, what do you think, Phil? Chicken. 
if it is referring specifically to the interpretation of prophecy or the weighing of the words of the prophets, which Paul is reserving for male, male headship in the church, then wouldn't it be safe to say that if prophecy has ceased, so too has this prohibition? Would that not be safe? I don't know. I don't want to go too far with that, but it seems to flow for me. Well, that's as clear as mud as well, I'm sure. These are indeed troublesome words, and we had to talk about them a little bit, or we're not going to get anywhere today. Uh, but I think, that, uh, I think that we needed to get them out of the way, because there is, there is a principle, a couple of principles here in this passage, which we're going to miss completely if all we do is read chapter 14 and say that's talking about tongues and that's talking about women being quiet in church. If that's all we see out of there, we've missed the whole point. We've missed the whole point. And I think Paul here was going, being very careful to regulate the gift of tongues, to get that out of the way, to explain all these other things so that he could tell us some of these principles. And I'm out of time this morning, so I'm just going to mention these principles very quickly. And uh, uh, I won't give much detail on them, but I think they're important. Timeless principles that I think do apply to us. We don't speak in tongues here, so that doesn't apply to us. We don't have prophets here, so this matter of women not judging the prophets doesn't apply to us. But these timeless principles do. First of all is the principle of edification. Did you notice how many times he used the word edification in this passage? Edification. The word edification means building up, and it's a key word in this chapter. Look at verse number 12. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Look at verse number 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Building each other up. There it is. That same thing that we have seen all throughout 1 Corinthians is buried here in chapter 14. Underneath of those words, tongues and silence, is the same principle that we have seen all over again. That overarching reminder that we need to keep in mind. These gifts weren't given for our personal enrichment. They were given for the good of the church. And everything that we do ought to be for the building up and for the edification of others. We don't have time this morning, but if you looked at verses 6 through 25, you'd see Paul is making an impassioned plea there for the Corinthians to think about how their worship service appears to others who might walk in the door. It's kind of interesting reading. Let me paraphrase. I think what Paul is saying there is when somebody walks in the door of your church, are they going to be built up? Are they going to be edified? Or are they going to be confused out of their minds? Are they going to see something in your worship that draws them to Christ? Or are they going to think that you're all crackpots? And crazy. Isn't that what he's saying in verses 6 through 25? Read it on your own and see if you don't agree with me. Paul said that if visitors walked into a service where everybody was speaking in tongues and nobody understood a word that was being said, they'd think you were all insane. Isn't that what he said? And if we think about what was taking place in Corinth here, if we think about the fact that apparently the prophets were all prophesying at the same time, because he had to regulate that, he had to say, no, wait a minute now, one at a time. He only had to say that because they weren't doing it one at a time. Obviously, all these people were speaking in tongues and there was no interpreters there. So all these people speaking different languages at the same time, prophesying at the same time, all this going on. And Paul said, if somebody walks into your in the back door of your service and sees that, does that draw them to Christ? Does that build people up? Does that edify? Or does that make people think you're crazy? So here's the principle. The principle for us, Friendship Bible Church, is that everything we do in our church services needs to be for edification. For building others up, not for pushing them away. 
Derek Prime, who's a, a minister in the British Isles, he said this. He said, one of the convicting instruments God the Holy Spirit uses is a worshiping company of God's people. And especially when the word of God is taught and preached. A church meeting together with expectancy in the name of the Lord Jesus can make a profound impression upon unbelievers, compelling them to ask, who is this God these people praise and to whose word they listen with such reverent joy and enthusiasm? Conviction of sin and conversion may then follow. And so the first principle is we must be builders, not destroyers. The second principle is the word understanding. Did you notice how many times that word appears here? Understanding. Paul used it eight times in verses 6 through 25. And I think his thinking is summed up in verse 25 when he says in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. I know that there are those who believe, and there may be some here this morning who believe, that in order to be a Christian, you have to park your brains at the foot of the cross. That it's all a matter of emotionalism. That it's not something that a thinking person would ever get involved with. There are folks who believe that. But Paul's emphasis on understanding here kills that theory. Because what he's saying, what he's making clear here is that God wants us to engage our minds in our worship. He wants us to think. That's why here at Friendship Bible Church we don't shy away from horrendous chapters like 1 Corinthians 14. Because he wants us to think these things through. Not every chapter is as difficult as this one. Or chapter 11, or maybe the whole book of 1 Corinthians. But he wants us to understand them. He wants us to think about it. It's also why we want our worship services to be filled with something other than just empty emotionalism. We want the primary thing seen in our worship services here at Friendship Bible Church to be the word of God. That our minds might be engaged. Not just our emotions. Nothing wrong with emotions. Paul makes it plain here that we need to understand. That's why we have a blended style of worship here. That's why when Amy picks songs, she picks not just 7-Eleven songs. Everybody know what 7-Eleven songs? Seven words repeated 11 times. 7-Eleven songs. No. We'll always have a mix of the good new with the good old hymns. Those things that are rich in doctrine and theology, they're always going to be part of it. Because understanding is key. You see, the Corinthians were in great danger of going the wrong way on this, of putting emotionalism on this big high plane to the detriment of understanding. And Paul said they had it backwards. One last word, and that's the word order. So three principles we see here. One is edification, one is understanding, the third is order. Order. And, and I'm not going to say much more about this except just read the verse. It's the very last verse. Paul said, let all things be done decently and in order. I think it kind of sums up the other two things we have said. Order. Everything needs to be done that way in our worship service. So, troublesome words, timeless principles. The challenge for us who are here members of Friendship Bible Church or attenders of Friendship Bible Church, I think it's pretty clear, don't you think? We need to apply these principles. We need to apply these principles to our worship services, to everything we do here. Uh, Are we edifying? Are we emphasizing understanding? And are we doing things decently? And in order, if we're not, we need to fix it. That's the challenge for us. But what about those who might be here this morning? Let me just say a word to those who might be here this morning who are not part of us, who might be visiting, who are saying, what does this have to do with me? Does this hard chapter have anything to say? And I would say, yes, it does. 
Ask yourself this morning, why would Paul spend so much time on this? Why would the Apostle Paul be so adamant and and try so hard to make certain that nothing done in their services would obscure the message of Jesus Christ? And isn't that what he's saying? Let nothing obscure that message. Ask why it mattered, whether or not they were crazy emotional people. Why did it matter? Why did it matter whether they chose to have a service that was chaotic and uh, cacophony reigned? Why did it matter? And the reason it mattered is because nothing is more important than the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important in the gospel than the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And nothing must obscure it because nothing is more important. If you understand that importance... And that's, that's, that's what he was saying here. If you understand that importance, then the question for you is, what is your response? What is your response? Have you heard it, that gospel? Have you heard that Jesus died on the cross for you? Have you responded to it? Have you received it? Have you believed it? Have you accepted it? Have you been born again, as the Bible says, is the only way that a person can ever get to heaven? You see, there is nothing that is more important than that. And so if you're asking this morning, what does this have to do with me? Think about that. Paul was so clear. Let's nothing, nothing, uh, stop that message from getting through. And if you need to hear that message today, let nothing stop it from getting through.